When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coffee shops often broadcast that they sell direct trade. Why you don't sell direct? Why don't you that? Because there are also a lot of uh, threats that make people uh, be, uh, rather say, no, I don't go in, I don't venture in that. Too risky. I'm curious, are you are you just drinking water right now? or what No, you... coffee. I drink coffee all the time. Gustavo Alfaro runs a coffee farm in the Huehuetenango region on the western side of Guatemala. The area has an international reputation. Gustavo's beans are award-winning, coveted even. It's a notoriety that allows him to sell beans directly to coffee shops, what's called direct trade. When you go to a coffee shop in, in LA and you find this coffee come from that part, this per- person just bought around five to six bags from this specific country. So this makes it more expensive, more difficult to, to ship. Regardless, in modern coffee selling, direct trade has been touted as a gold standard in an industry where farmers often see a small return for their product. During the COVID pandemic, a lot of my customers has to close, you know. Leaving Gustavo with surplus of coffee. And new persons arrive looking for coffee and you didn't know them. In the past, you travel to meet that person, they come to your country, you know. While it's never a great idea to just jump into business with people you've never met before, this wasn't exactly the time for Gustavo to be choosy. So he signed on with a bunch of new customers. I sent, like a lot, like uh, maybe you you encounter this situation that a buyer don't pay you back, you know? But direct trade is usually about selling a few bags at a time, though. So how bad could it be? Maybe I lost like 60,000, 70,000 US that I lost. Even in its progressive spaces, the coffee industry is often a buyer's market. The gamble is nothing new. So you have to look. You have to have a special, I think, a special nerve to to, do it, to continue. And you will just find out when you do it. You know, you will make it or you will not. You know. I'm Omar Alakad, and this is without. The modern world could fall apart without coffee. From boutique single origins to diner mud, coffee is the most widely imbibed psychoactive stimulant on Earth. Roughly 125 million people depend on coffee to earn a living, all tied to a product susceptible to climate change, unpredictable markets, and a supply chain so convoluted, most people have no idea how it works. For all the coffees that the world consumes, we really only drink two types, Arabica and Robusta. And of those two, Arabica is by far the favorite. It's also the one that could easily disappear. Today we take a trip around the planet, to farms big and small. We look at where the world's favorite coffee is going and how we keep those beans in stock. And if we can't, what would life be like? That's ahead. It's one of those cliched things people say when someone joins the family business. 
but Gustavo was born with coffee in his blood. He grew up on the family's coffee farm and figured he knew as much as he needed to, which wouldn't have to be much. Gustavo had different interests. He'd left the farm years ago. So my father passed away, and he inherited the farm to me. I quit my job, quit everything, and came back, you know? At the time, Gustavo was living in South Africa. He'd established himself there, working in biochemistry. My idea was that it's going to be something set that I have to learn and run, you know? And what's not that, you know, was completely the opposite. And I didn't know anything, you know, about agriculture whatsoever. And I, I thought that I will rely on a lot of uh, local knowledge and learning curves because it's the same activities. You have, you have to prune, you have to clean. This was a large farm, generations old. For another country, it will be a small farm. But for Guatemala, which is a small country, mountainous country, will be regarded as a, as a medium, big-sized coffee plantation, yes. So it was really terrible, you know, really terrible. It's, still it is, you know. If you want to run a farm like this, there are certain things you need to learn about, like weather patterns, seasonal changes. Weather is a constant uh, phenomenon in any agricultural production. Always plays a role. But the one that uh, really threatened the industry was coffee rust. If you've never heard of it, coffee rust is a disease that can wipe out entire harvests. It's one of the biggest killers of coffee plants in the world. Coffee rust was almost like the COVID pandemic, you know? So the obvious effect was it's a fungus, came to the leaf, killed the leaf, so the plant has to be pruned, you know? The most destructive wave of coffee rust to hit this region in recent years came back in 2012. That one, uh, this was that decimator. And when he says decimator, Gustavo's not being entirely hyperbolic. First, you lost this crop. Then there was a a lot of side effects. So the the lifespan of a plant came like in 50%. What was a good productive plant for, let's say, 50 years, now is 20 These numbers aren't uncommon. Coffee rust is a byproduct of climate change, and it's affecting coffee-growing regions across the equator. Scientists predict that in the next three decades, 60% of the land that Arabica grows on will become unusable for the crop. That's a lot less coffee. Do you ever just get sick of coffee? Like, do you ever just like... I don't. I don't. I have... You know, I say this thing to my children sometimes, which is like, if you're bored, it's your own fault. (laughs) Because the world is amazing. There is so much to captivate one. And what captivates Hannah Neuschwander is coffee. She's the strategy and communications director at the World Coffee Research Center. It's an organization that spends a lot of time and money trying to figure out ways of saving the crop from looming disasters. We are created by, funded by, directed by the coffee industry. So it is coffee roasters, coffee importers and exporters, coffee equipment manufacturers. They're kind of like an insurance company for the future of coffee. And a lot of the time, they're looking for types of beans that might one day supplement or maybe even replace Arabica. If you were to compare the state of coffee agriculture Mm -hmm. 30 or 40 years ago to today, what are the biggest changes in in how that, that industry works? Most farmers are still working with varieties that were developed 50, 60, 70, or more than 100 years ago. And that's kind of like saying, you know, okay, well, we're doing a podcast right now. This would be like recording a podcast without mobile equipment or (laughs) running your, you know, your entrepreneurial business without a laptop. 
If you're a farmer who makes your living selling a certain bean, adaptation isn't easy, and it's almost always an expensive proposition. Hannah's organization is trying to make that change a little more approachable. We focus on variety development, but also on um, creating access to better varieties for uh, farmers around the world. Variety is designed to guard against everything from hot weather to cold weather, coffee rust to drought. We do breeding trials, so we actually create new varieties or work with partners to create new varieties. We look at existing varieties um, that maybe are doing really well in one place, but haven't been tested yet in other places. Um, And we also look at things like how do farmers get access to better varieties once they exist. Thing is, for farmers like Gustavo, it's not just a matter of getting your hands on this new bomb-proof technology and, a little while later, reaping the benefits. If somebody said, hey, this one, it tastes good, it grows well here, and it's resistant to coffee leaf rust, how risky would that be for you? Now, it's high risk, you know? It's not something that is so simple because you have to wait first for the second harvest to see if it was the right choice. This takes seven years to you. What when you have seven years? You decide it's not the right one. For Gustavo, you have to look down the road. And that's because with a large farm, it can be hard to make changes. It's a bit like driving a semi or a freight ship. Like you see, a, you, you ask like a big, uh, big truck, you know, and they will tell you, look, uh, just stop, you know. Or you see a ship, a big cargo ship, you have to put the brakes and stop, you know. They will take a look, will take me three kilometers to break, you know. Well, if you take a small boat, make a U-turn, they will tell you, with pleasure, well, we'll make a U-turn, you know. So if the breakthroughs Hannah's organization is testing won't work for Gustavo and his big boat, could it work for the little boat? After the break, a trip to Vietnam to find out. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. While larger coffee farms often struggle to shift to new technology, maybe smaller farms could benefit. With the industry open to sharing flashy new varieties, it seems like an attractive prospect. The real farming industry is not sexy. It's not not what they look like. So it's not fancy. Well, it's all mud. It's all about, like, what happens if you have crop loss, you know? So my name is Nok Anh Dao. I'm a... President of IWCA Vietnam, International Women's Coffee Alliance of, uh, in Vietnam. She's also a coffee farmer. She's been experimenting with a type of farming called agroforestry, 
growing a variety of crops that work in a type of agricultural harmony. I, I think it has several names. Intercropping, agroforestry, biodiversity um, can be a tool uh, for, for growing sustainably Arabica coffee. The story behind Vietnam's coffee renaissance starts with a supply crisis. Not in Vietnam, in East Germany. In the 70s, the East German government makes a deal to loan Vietnam infrastructure money in exchange for coffee. Vietnam would need to start paying back that loan, but not until 1990, which would have worked out great if the Berlin Wall hadn't fallen in 1989. Vietnam has been growing Robusta, that other type of coffee, for more than a century. But over the last 30 years, it's begun growing more Arabica in the Central Highlands. Nok Ann has also taken a role like Hannah's, assisting farmers in getting Arabica strains resistant to coffee rust. If a farm is small and new, rather than old and large, would that make it easier to use these new beans? We asked Nok Ann if she knew a coffee farmer who'd be open to speaking with us. She put us in touch with a farmer named Leo Van Kwong. Hello, uh, Leo owns a small farm in the Sun La region in northwest Vietnam. It's an area where a lot of people have been growing Arabica. About 10 years ago, farmers in the area were approached by the International Council for Research in Agroforestry. It's kind of an unwieldy name. We can call it ICRAF for short. Anyhow, ICRAF was touting this new bean for the area, an Arabica varietal. The most successful growing period is from uh, 2016, 2017, uh, 2018, within three years. That is the time when coffee brought in the highest yield. In general, farmers here also find themselves growing coffee effectively, so they also enjoy it. I think growing coffee here is very suitable. I grow only one type of coffee called Katimor coffee, the Arabica type. It did not bring high productivity, but its resistance to diseases was higher and better than the other kinds. So even though it's not the greatest grower, it is growing and fighting off coffee rust too. Uh, the most difficult thing here is the problem of the weather. Plants are susceptible to death in the cold season. There are years when the weather is very cold and there's even frost. So the coffee trees here cannot handle it and often die. This ends up being a really big problem. Yes, in recent years, I have reduced the area of planted coffee. The weather here is too frosty, causing the coffee tree to die and reduce the output. I have replaced it with other types of crops. It is more economically effective. But I found that the yield has had its problems, so I decided to reduce the area. So here you have a farmer. They get their hands on a new crop, one that can actually withstand leaf rust, which is great on its own, except that local frost storms are so bad, they kill a third of it. 
Climate change also means that uh, farmers would take actions to replace coffee for a better earning crop. Yes, new crops are now being planted a lot more and on a large area. Now I'm seeing the trend of growing and planting the macadamia tree. Sơn La used to have 30,000 hectares growing Arabica. Now we have slightly above 20,000. So small farms pick up this thing, it doesn't work for them, and they move on to a more profitable product. While this might make sense for the farmer, how does that decision play out globally? What happens when you build a new market around something that isn't sustainable? Two dogs coffee can help you. Oh, hang on, I got somebody's just come in the shop. To find out, we called a shop that sells Canamore beans from Sunlaw. Sorry, I just had to check somebody hadn't come in the shop. Hi. Um, yeah, Sean, my name is. Sean, spell S I A N. John and Sean own Two Dogs Coffee, a boutique coffee roaster in Wales. It's just me and my husband, yeah. They opened in 2018, around the peak of Leo Van Kuang's coffee farming. About five years ago. So it was when we were setting up, she was researching into which coffees we should take on. We tried a few different ones, and then a lot of people don't realize um, that Vietnam's grow coffee. But yeah, once people try it, they love it, and we, it's one of our best sellers. But surprisingly, the cut in coffee production, just a year after their business started, hasn't affected their supply of catamore. It's been pretty consistent, but... Um, the prices have been going up um, since the pandemic and uh, also recently because of uh, all the problems that uh, people have got at the moment with the cost of living. And the um, and we only a small company that does small batch roasting. So, um, you know, we're not looking at um, importing huge amounts. If even the fancy new crops can't survive and shrinking margins are hiding the fact that the industry itself might not be sustainable, then maybe we shouldn't be looking to the industry for signs of what comes next. But if we were to prepare for a world without coffee, how would that look? Okay, thanks very much. Bye. It's not something most people want to think about. What, what would be the world without coffee? We, I cannot imagine that. Girl, uh, like Getting up early in the morning without a cup of coffee. It's impossible for me at the moment to imagine. Luckily, you won't have to imagine. That's after the break. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. 
Doing without a thing only becomes an issue if you've been using the thing, which is why I should probably tell you I've never had a cup of coffee. It's not some Spartan thing. I just don't like hot drinks. Like, none of them. But in a way, I do rely on coffee, at least to make this show happen. My producer, Emil, drinks coffee every day, and he has volunteered to be our lab rat to see if this episode falls apart once you take out caffeine. So far, he's been off coffee for nine days. Nine days since you've had any coffee. Is that the longest that you can remember going without coffee? I mean, probably since I became an adult, but, you know. Okay, okay, so first day, any effects by the end of the day or any effects like early in the morning? What was that first day like? Well, I mean, it sounded like this. It's, um... 422. I wonder if this irregular sleep pattern is related to the fact that I'm not drinking it. I bought some chicory yesterday and they only sell this instant chicory natural coffee alternative. It's just weird because like this show has so many frightening moments in it. You know, these, these episodes about like the world ending in many respects. I don't know if we've I don't know if I personally have heard anything quite as frightening as the phrase instant chicory coffee alternative. Speaking of chicory, the, uh, during the Napoleon... That's Mark Pendergrass. Mark is an author of a number of books about coffee, including Uncommon Grounds, The History of Coffee, and How It Transformed Our World. I wanted to ask him about periods when people couldn't get coffee. There have been a number of those. During the Napoleonic era... Napoleon didn't want to rely on anything that was imported. And after the uh, revolt in Haiti, he really didn't want to rely on importing coffee or sugar. And so he helped to develop sugar beets and he tried to get the French to rely on roasted chicory. Because of that, the French developed a taste for chicory which is why, for instance, in New Orleans, with the French influence there, a mixture of coffee and chicory is uh, quite popular and has been for a long time. Of course, chicory isn't the only time this has occurred. There have been other less savory options uh, to replace coffee. We're talking about dried yellow turnip, roasted rye, corn, sticks. Just real eye-watering stuff. Uh, The South couldn't get any real coffee beans. And so they resorted to, you know, roasting acorns or or other things. You have to hit a a floor for that sort of thing. Like, at some point, you're just drinking, like, muddled soil. Anyhow, after we heard about this, our producer got the idea to try out some chicory. But did you eventually consume this stuff? And here I have... Uh, Leroux Dupuis, uh, from 1858. Stuff looks like Folgers instant coffee. I did. It it was an experience. I am not going to (laughs) lie. The first sip of that somehow made me feel a lot more uh, calm. I'm like a little bit weirded out that that could have that effect on me. I am a little bit skeptical if I should drink more of this ever. Um, and I wonder if that's in relation to the drug dependency. Like after the, the this episode gimmick is done, are you just like 
could go either way on like not having coffee again or like would you 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 need it in your life um well this is me just a couple days ago in the morning you know i think i might actually even just stop drinking coffee yeah i'm not like missing it or having headaches or anything so i think i'm probably fine without it yeah wow so you're done with coffee yeah Except that as soon as I started producing this episode, I went right back to drinking coffee. I just don't think I could do it without it. The longest time that I I remember I didn't drink coffee, maybe it was 10 hours. <laughs> because it's impossible, you know? That's Gustavo again, the Guatemalan coffee farmer. For him, coffee's future is a constant concern. Sorry, Gustavo, do you, do you have children? I don't. I don't, <laughs> because my life, you know, I travel a lot, and I just came about a few years ago. But I have a, I have, an, I have nephews and so on, that will, might continue. So, but there is always the risk that people are not interested. You know, I think this will happen when happen. You know. So there, there's a risk that your farm, your beans, uh, could not go on after after you. Big risk. Like Gustavo said, it takes a special nerve to continue in this industry, an industry where price fluctuations can be both large and unpredictable. Because, you know, if you go to the stock market, you will see the prices for Arabica every day. Gustavo's prices from direct trade reflect that market fairly accurately. But the more common approach of farmers working with a local distributor is more opaque. Catamore, the beans from Leo Van Kwong's area, can sell in high-end coffee shops for nearly $45 a kilo. What do you charge for a kilo of of coffee? This year, during this time, we sell it for about $16,000. That's 68 cents. Without is a production of Hyperobject Industries and Sony Music Entertainment. It's written and hosted by me, Omar Alakad. It's executive produced by Claire Slaughter and Harry Nelson. Our senior producer is Emil Klein. Producer is Lushik Lotus Lee. And associate producer is Fendel Fulton. With additional reporting from Jordan Allen and production support from Zaley Mahone. Our theme music, sound design, and mixing is by Joanna Catcher at Nice Manners. Research by Sarah Mathis and Zoe Gruskin. Voice acting by George Kuhn Nguyen. Translation by Kevin Nguyen and Chan Min. Additional thanks to Tay Nan Nguyen, Mary Franklin Harvin, Jesse Cottrell, and all farmers, academics, scientists, and coffee enthusiasts who shared some time with us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more next week. More pragmatic, less romantic, you know? But both extremes can kill you, you know? (laughs) 